This is the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's up, Wildcatter Nation? If you guys didn't know, all of these episodes uh, for the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast are also on YouTube as well. Just go search Digital Wildcatters and make sure to subscribe to the channel. Also, we have our weekly newsletter, The Roundup, which recaps all of our content from the previous week, along with some commentary on what's going on in the oil and gas world. So go check that out as well. The guys from Power Century came bearing gifts of whiskey when they showed up to record this week. While you might not have heard of Power Century, you might have heard of Raptor Lift, which is what they were formerly known as. They have a new investor, a new name, and now an almost entirely new team. So we see them as a startup. Electricity at the well site has two main problems. It's one of your biggest lease operating expenses, and it's not always reliable, which can cause a lot of issues as well. So these guys schooled us up on how they're tackling both of those issues. Before we get into the episode, this episode is brought to you by Interpub, a new public data solution from Stonebridge Consulting. When you're looking for public oil and gas data, you really have two options. You can aggregate the data yourself from various state agencies or subscribe to a data provider. This is a topic that comes up a lot for us, and you typically hear a lot of the same things from people. They want to cut costs around accessing public data, especially in an environment like this. They want flexibility to select the data sources that they want to see. They also want to be able to easily integrate this data with a lot of their existing systems, and they also want to be able to easily manipulate and work with the data, right? Who wouldn't? Interpub from Stonebridge is reimagining public data access by streamlining data integration and simplifying analytics. That means you can modernize your data sharing through big data platforms such as Azure, AWS, and Snowflake, as well as easily connect analytics platforms like Spotfire, Tableau, or Power BI. Interpub 1.0 is now available, offering free access to curated data. You can learn more at sbconsulting.com forward slash Interpub, which we've thrown a link in the show notes for you below. Interpub from Stonebridge Consulting. Maybe it's time to reimagine public data. What's going on, Wildcatters? Welcome back to another episode of the Whirling Gas Startups Podcast. It's a wonderful Friday here in our world. We've got the guys from it's Power Century, right? Yes, There's not like Power Century. Is that another name in there? No. <laughs> Just straight Power Century. <laughs> yeah, we were formerly known as Raptor Lift Solutions, and that's still a, a name that is uh, very much in our lexicon, but we uh, now go by Power Century. Ah, yeah. okay. So yes. you guys rebranded recently. We did. Okay. Yeah, we rebranded about a year ago okay. uh, under the new name Power Century, and uh, we're doing our best to, to drive that in and use it as much as we can yeah. as it communicates a little bit more clearly what uh, our products do and, and the value they add for customers. Yeah, this podcast has been a long time coming because, um, you know, my buddy Kyle used to be at Raptor Lift and he told me about the Is that technology. Right? Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think, uh, man, that had to be almost two years ago at, yeah. at that point. So I saw you guys at ATCE in 2018, 18? I think. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. so, yeah, very good. Yeah, I, you know. It's good because enough time's gone by that I forgot about the technology and exactly, you know, what you guys do and how it works. So I have uh, plenty of questions for you, but sure. yeah. So, you know, why don't you guys tell us a little bit about what you do at a high level mm -hmm. and then we can dive into the story behind both of you guys and how you got here. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, power century started in 2017. Uh, it was really a, um, result of a couple of different acquisitions that had been put together from our uh, private equity backers, uh, CSL Capital. Oh, yeah. And so uh, in 2017, when we got started, we really started with one core product. It was called the uh, on-site storage system. And um, yeah, we can go into more about what those products do, but that was a kind of our, our entry point into this market. And um, 
earlier this year, we actually launched our second product uh, So earlier in the summer, which if you could have mapped out timing on the exact right time to launch a new product in oil and gas, you would have picked summer of 2020, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know, nonetheless, we, uh, we have a resilient team and we knew we would make all the progress we needed to. And so we launched our ERT, which is electrical ride through. And uh, we've been uh, heavily pr- pushing and promoting that product and have been um, actually really fortunate, thanks to Aaron and, and, and the team, to getting uh, this product out with some large oil and gas operators and uh, getting some successful pilots throughout the Permian and uh, throughout the Bakken as well. So overall, you know, I would describe Power Century as a company that is really focused on uh, providing power management solutions for customers. And, um, you know, we really have two hats that, that we make sure to wear equally, which is making sure we provide that value through one, reducing lease operating expenses, right? So we can reduce the amount of power consumed at a well site. And um, as a result of doing that, we're also able to improve our customers' ESG outcomes, right? Yeah. So using less power, you know, will we'll provide for an ability to increase or should I say decrease your environmental footprint, kind of increase your outcomes there. So what we know is, uh, I think, is it one kilowatt hour is the equivalent of like 1.7 pounds of CO2 in the atmosphere. And so we know that we're really, you know, able to measure that. And, um, you know, I'd love to talk more about our products, but yes. that's, that's a little bit of the history of the company. We've been based in, uh, in Houston since we started. We um, do some of our manufacturing here and in Austin with a couple of manufacturing partners. And, um, you know, I've really uh, been fortunate in seeing our, our team grow and change over the last year. So um, that's a little bit of what we're doing now at Power Century. Awesome. And so I've got to introduce you guys, you know, obviously we got, <laughs> we got Eric CEO here and then we got Aaron VP of sales. So which one of you wants to start off, you know, kind of telling your background and how you guys got to Power Century. Okay. We'll, we'll let this Eric, is the only we'll case let, where it is age before B yeah. or I, I think Aaron is Aaron um, our first uh, our, our Scotsman on here. I think first, so. First uh, Scottish person. It's so a, he walked in. He walked in and started talking. I was like, "Where are you from?" He said, Scotland. I was like, "Okay, cool." Um, so yeah, my name is Aaron Davidson. I uh, I'm the VP of Sales and Service here at uh, Power Century. So I moved over October last year. Um, prior to that, I was I've always been oil and gas. Uh, I grew up in Aberdeen, Scotland, where you're kind of born with a golden ticket to work in the oil and gas industry, similar to So you're just like Midland. me from Midland. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> the only difference was there was a, a an ocean between us and the rig, yeah. um, which we needed to fly out to. But I always wanted to do it when I was growing up. And the reason being is, one, we always saw the helicopters flying up overhead from the house. Two, my uncle worked for Conical Phillips and he always came you know, home with some pretty decent swag. And as soon as I joined the oil industry, that all that stopped. So uh, <laughs> all the benefits I thought were there were, were no longer yeah. present. Um, but I started off at a company called Expro, which is an oil field services company uh, way back 2005. Worked in the North Sea for several years, moved into an ops role, and then uh, eventually found my groove in sales. So went through the business development path in, in Expro, moved it over here, with Expo in 2014 mm-hmm. uh, with my wife. And now we have fortunate to have a, our first American in the family and, and our daughter. Um, but I moved to a company called Flexim uh, in that time, which was a, a, a non-intrusive flow measurement technology, uh, ultrasonics. Uh, and then after that, you know, I, I did that for a few years and then moved to Power Century. So, so I, I got to ask you, man, what is it like working in the North Sea? Because I've worked offshore, but it's only Gulf of Mexico. So it's nowhere near as exciting as the North Sea. And I was always like, I was always pissed. I never got to go over there. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's interesting. The weather's definitely interesting. Yeah. But 
you know, if, if any of my uh, friends or family are watching this, they're going to contest anything I say because I actually did de- <laughs> data acquisition. So I was never actually on the on the, the rig oh, floor, okay, per se. Okay. I, I worked in well tests and yeah. I was uh, always behind the computer. It's just like so. anytime I see a video of Norsey, you know, it's just some um, huge yeah. know, swells. And I'm like, it's not that, far man. from the truth. Yeah. Like I like Gulf of Mexico, you know, it's just smooth seas and yeah. I get seasick. So I'm yeah. not trying to be out there in those. The fishing seas, in the so. Gulf of Mexico is much better. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, Eric, tell us a little bit about yourself and um you know what your background is and how you got over to power century yeah sure so um i'm a native houstonian i grew up here and um went to study petroleum engineering at texas a&m and um so then went out to, yeah yeah went out <laughs> to uh i guess you're, you're from midland you said went out yeah, to midland yeah. and i worked out there for a period of time for concho resources oh yeah so I really small, got to small AMP. I've heard of them. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I really got to learn the oil industry. Being out there, you know, the benefit of being a, a young engineer out in West Texas, your office and the field are just a few minutes away from each other, and mm-hmm. so you really get to put your degree to use and um, kind of learn quite a bit. So uh, I worked out there for a few years, got to do some drilling and production work, and then um, left West Texas and went to kind of the opposite part of the country. I went to uh, the Northeast. And went to business school and I completed my MBA at the Harvard Business School where I finished in 2013. And then um, after that, I started uh, my own, uh, call it a search fund, was this idea where you raise capital to go and buy businesses. And I wanted to buy a business in the oil and gas industry. And so kind of put a little bit of my background to to use. And I bought a uh, small manufacturing company here in Houston by the name of LK Industries. And I ran that business uh, for almost five years. And um, then I sold the company to um, an outside an outside buyer, a family office out of New York, and then I uh, came over to Power so, Century. So this was a manufacturing company. What were you guys manufacturing? Yeah, so I'm LK sure, Industries like, was- is an old company. It started in 1929. That was kind of a neat part of its history. That's but crazy. It's, it's a firm that makes uh, centrifuges and um, different kinds of glassware, which are all used for crude quality analysis. Okay. And so um, the company's been doing something right over, you know, it's 80, 90 year period <laughs> by the time I found it. And um, I, I was part of a short chapter. It was only being there for five years yeah. in that. Um, and so after the sale of the business and kind of a rightful transition, you know, helping them get set up for success with their new buyers, I had gotten to know the folks at CSL and some of my skill sets that I kind of built in running LK Industries where we launched some new products. I got to take some new technologies to market. And also having an operator point of view, we thought, you know, the, it seemed like it'd be a good fit to bring that to Power Century. And so I started here in May. So it's only got a few months, you know, under under the hat here. But in those few months, you know, what we've been focused on is understanding what do our customers need? How do we take these products, one that we've had for a while, one that's really been a prototype mm-hmm. up until this summer? And how do we push those into the market and um, really communicate that we can help customers increase their value, both by reducing power cost and increasing ESG outcomes. So yeah. you said that your your one of your one of your uh, products was the uh, electrical ride through, yep. right? And what was the other one? OSS on-site storage. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, let me just let me describe yeah, 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 those in a little yeah. bit of detail. So, I'll start with our legacy product and Aaron chime in as, as yep. we're going through. But the uh, on-site storage system is a product that it gets installed typically uh, alongside a, a rod pump unit and what it does is it captures the regenerative energy on a downstroke of a pumping unit. And so you can kind of visualize as that stroke's going down, there's energy that would typically be burnt off. This stores that energy on site uh, for a very short period of time and releases that energy on the next upstroke. And so it requires the the system not to have to take as much power because instead of just getting 
kind of line energy to pick back up. It's recycling some of that energy that was just uh, captured. And so that's, that's essentially F1 technology with the curse systems yeah. on F1 cars. As you're braking, yeah, you're using the regenerative power from, uh, you know, from either the transmission or from the brakes. And then you use that as actual power that can be stored. And they have a little button that they can press and they go super fast. Yeah, very, very similar concepts, right? Of being able to capture energy that would have been burnt off and, mm-hmm. and using it again. And, you know, if you can imagine this happening on this rod pumping system that's going pretty fast, this is happening off and on, like constantly storing and releasing the energy, storing and releasing. And so we've been able to uh, install this unit on multi-well pads. So up to Mm -hmm. six, we have uh, one unit servicing, but um, we can also go down to one to one. And uh, we've been able to see some really good outcomes with customers that have installed this. How much would that save on average? Yeah, we've seen uh, the range of savings across the the installations we have have been between 15 and the mid 30s in terms of percentage, mm-hmm. uh, averaging closer to about 20 percent across the okay. whole the whole lot of data. And um, you know, we save power in two different ways. So just like at your at your home, you get billed for your total power used, and then also your peak power demand, right? And so um, by reducing the total power use, we're saving dollars, but by also reducing that peak, that kind of surge that, that you might need, uh, we're helping to save dollars as well. Okay. Yeah. Does, does it, does it also store any energy on site no, as no, well? Or is it, or is it, very, or is it, very, okay. Yeah. But it's just for that upstroke, right? Just for that, yeah. yeah. It's okay. releasing it. It's uh, continually cycling it. energy through those uh, caps. So the, like Eric said, that the energy that's uh, captured during that downstroke will only stay in that cap bank for a very, very short period of time and then mm-hmm. be redistributed to that same well or one of the siblings on the pad. So yeah, is so that, so is it's that coming from, it's coming from the pump jack to that unit yeah, back yeah. to yeah. the project. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, correct. So is there an opportunity there to like have any kind of like onsite storage in the event that, I don't know, something comes down, comes through, like a storm comes through, knocks out all electricity. Which is an excellent segue into our next product. Yeah. Yeah. I, was about to say, I already knew that, I already yeah, knew that I mean, you guys had yeah, something you, along you, the line. You could not have teed it up better. Uh, <laughs> okay. So we appreciate the, the, the assistance. So I'll shift to our newest product, which okay. is the electrical ride through, which um, functions in a way of, of, of kind of storing power on site. So the electrical ride through is a system of um, ultra capacitors that, that we uh, install. And uh, essentially, this provides backup power in many different applications. The ones that we're working with now are uh, for ESPs. And so we install this system, uh, connect it directly to the drives, and it provides a source of instantaneous backup power. So you can imagine an ESP operating downhole and in the oil field, you know, power stability is, is less than ideal. Mm-hmm. And so browns, sags, uh, brownout sags, different kinds of things can contribute to power interruptions. And what this system does is it's, like I said, a series of ultra capacitors that get charged, gets connected to the drive. And and when there's any sort of power interruption, it kicks on almost instantaneously to provide uh, continuous power. So it can provide power in a complete power loss for up to eight seconds. Or uh, the more applicable use will be whenever there's intermittent interruptions, it just will kick in to provide power. So power kind of goes through a sag for a second or two, it kicks in to kind of fill that void. Ultimately, what we're trying to do is ensure that if you're an operator, your ESPs are having an extended life because they're not constantly going through this kind of high and low of power consumption. Mm-hmm. And uh, in, in a worst case scenario where there could be a possible shutdown or, or actual your your ESP stops working and then you got to pull it out, right? So uh, we're allowing customers to have more consistent performance from their equipment by installing this yeah. power backup. The other application that we're seeing uh, we're seeing now and using is installing this system 
at saltwater disposal facilities where there's massive pumps that are moving that salt water. And you can imagine if power goes out, you've got a real issue because everything kind of up line is going to have to get shut in if that pump's not working. Mm -hmm. And so this power certainty, if you will, this power century, right? <laughs> <That's Yeah>. Power <laughs> certainty that goes into it will allow, allow a co company to know that they'll be able to keep their pumps running during any sort of power interruption. Aaron, can I provide some details if I might have uh, no, skipped uh, over anything? That, that's well, I, I, mean, I, I got some questions yeah. because, you know, this problem of VSPs going down is a massive problem mm -hmm. in oil and gas, you know, from my understanding. And, you know, I remember Kyle had told me a little bit about the products that you guys uh, had and, you know, just the, the the market for this. You know, I didn't understand that the uh, power supplier, the grid, you know, was so weak out in the fields to yep. where you had ESPs going down all the time. And this is costing operators, you know, I don't know how many millions of dollars every year. So for you guys, you know, when you're actually... I'd imagine some of the problems that you face on the electrical ride through or actually storing that energy is, you know, how long can you actually store energy? You know, mm -hmm. is it like, you know, an hour, 30 minutes? So it's, it's actually indefinitely. Um, so basically what we do is we pre-charge our cat bank using the AC side. Once it's fully charged, it disengages from the AC side. Our IP is that we connect directly to the DC bus. Um, so when there is an event, we will discharge however much power is required in order to support that VSD. It will disengage and then start recharging that bank back up. So it can lay dormant for months, even years, uh, with fully stored capacitors on site. And it'll just be there in the event of a power disturbance. That's insane. That's awesome. Yeah. So, you know, for you guys... I, you brought up a point about ESG and I get excited about technologies like these because um, I've been having a lot of conversations lately. A couple of guys that come uh, to the top of my head are uh, Kevin Stevens at Intellis Capital and uh, John Tuff at um, Energize. And both of these guys look at the energy transition in a pragmatic manner. You know, everyone thinks that we're just going to drop hydrocarbons tomorrow and all of a sudden <laughs> we're going to be running off of solar and wind and mm -hmm. it's just, it's not realistic. Anyone mm -hmm. that understands energy knows this, but there's so much room for improvement on cleaning up oil and gas and, and creating efficiencies. Like you look here, it's just like you got this pump jack that's just going up and down all day and it's burning off energy. What if we captured that energy and we're able to save, you know, 30%. So what are you guys seeing in terms of adoption from EMPs? Is that a big selling point for you? Because, you know, yeah. all these EMPs, you know, bondholders, investors are asking them like, Hey, what's your plan for, for ESG? And yep. it's funny. I had an EMP a while back. He's, he said a bond bondholder asked him that and he's like, ESG, he's like, we're an oil and gas company. We want to drill a well and not kill anyone. That's our ESG plan, <laughs> right. but that's not a sufficient answer anymore. Right? Like you have to be doing some things. So is that a, is that a big strategy for you yeah. guys to play off that? So I think, yeah, we certainly look at this in a pragmatic way too, and understand that, you know, um, it's from my point of view that, the energy industry is going to be here for a while. The, the notion of, of what that energy mix might look like is changing over time, you know, particularly as, um, you know, folks like like my friend Aaron here, big fan of Tesla's, right? And so you see those <laughs> kind of really changing the market and, and demand. That's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> was it sarcastic? <laughs> that was sarcastic. <laughs> and so uh, anyhow, what, what we know is if you kind of get into what you're hearing from different uh, leadership at companies, they're talking more and more about the imports of ESG and that's really being driven by investors and it's the right thing to do, right? Be able to ask how do we use our resources more efficiently. And so what we hope is that we can come in under the value proposition of being able to solve a problem, which is related to operations, reducing expenses. 
And what we know is that if our solution is, is the right one and to help you save money, it's also going to give you an ESG outcome. Mm-hmm. And so we really wanted to approach this conversation not as we are only selling you an ESG product. No, we actually are going to sell you a product that is solving an operations problem that's going to reduce your expenses and as an added benefit is also making the environment better. And so yeah. that was something that I think most operators can uh, really see very clearly that, hey, if there's a dual purpose benefit, we're all in. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, I heard um, some folks from a from an oil and gas company say in a, in a recent interview that they get really excited at the intersection of technologies that can do that for them, right? Because it becomes a really easy decision to be able to maximize on both yeah, fronts. It's a win-win. I yeah. mean, if you look at the the expense front, I mean, when you look at LOEs, electricity is eating up the bulk of right. exactly. lease operating of expenses, right? So if you can tell these companies, it's like, hey, we can save you, you know, X amount on electricity. And then also, hey, this is helping, you know, for your ESG score. It's mm-hmm. a no brainer, really. Do you guys have any, you know, stats off the top of your head in terms of, you know, savings on LOEs and how much, you know, the typical EMP spends on a horizontal wellbore? You know, do you guys have any of that off the top of your head? So as we had mentioned just earlier, what we saw in terms of the savings with our product is in that 15% to mid 30% averaging closer to 20. And so with that, we know that you know, 20% is not insignificant, especially when on your LOE, that electricity is one of your biggest items, right? So being able to move that by any sort of double digit percentage, we know is quite a bit. And some of the example wells that we were looking at, we had had a customer that had a, you know one site that was consuming $10,000 a month right, on or about mm-hmm. in power. Yeah. And so you know our savings there... Um, were, were noticeable, right? And yeah. meaningful in that. Uh, that was, of course, across multiple wells, but you know, you can see that these are tens of thousands of dollars that are being spent on a regular basis. Aaron, uh, you might have some some more uh, experience. Some yeah. Of the, so what, what I was going to say, well, the OSS product from an ESG perspective and you know savings perspective, powers priced differently at different parts in the country. You know, we're yeah. seeing some um, EMP companies in the north, for example, where they've they're actively trading energy on a you know continual basis so they're getting it real cheap so the oss product may not be applicable to them where the savings aren't going to be that great there's other parts in the country where you know they're spending 80 90 million dollars a year on electricity alone and in which case oss is ideal for that particular uh, place in the oil field yeah. in terms of the esg uh, and to build a kind of strategy and using that in our strategy it's entirely dependent on our clients' uh, commitment to ESG. So mm-hmm. you guys will probably be more than aware, Exxon, BP, Chevron, you know, the big super majors are very committed to ESG initiatives. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but some of the independents aren't. It, yeah. It's obviously going toward that direction, mm-hmm. but that's not necessarily something that we build into our primary strategy when targeting those guys. Yeah, absolutely. How do you, so do you guys sell these? Do you lease these? How yeah. does that work? Really good question. So historically, we've just sold them, right? Just so straight straight uh straight sales we've now innovated a little bit on our model and so we have for our ERT our newest product we're actually uh, pretty excited to be offering it through what we call a hardware as a service model to where uh, if a customer signs up to work with us we would install the unit on one of their sites and then charge a minimal base rate you know a common term we use in the industry would be a standby rate for the unit just to be there on site. And then whenever it kicks on to provide backup power, the customer is paying an event charge. Mm-hmm. And so what that does is it puts us and the customer shoulder to shoulder to making sure this thing is creating value and saying, we're only going to bill you when it's actually in use. 
And so we've uh, we've been really fortunate that with some of the pilots we've been doing that has helped the conversations of customers go from pilot to actually purchase because we're sensitive to the fact that CapEx spending is different in this market than it might have been a year or two years ago. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, whenever there's new technologies, there's certain risk that companies think about. How do I know if this is going to work? I don't know if it's going to provide the results that you're saying. And what we can say is we'll prove it. We'll put it in and we won't bill you unless it is creating value. Yeah. And so that's what we've done with our ERT unit on the OSS unit, our older units, our first, you know, first product. Like I said, that was historically sold directly. We are still selling them outright today, but are also now offering rental rates Mm -hmm. on those. So if a customer wants to install them, then uh, we will happily uh, work with them on a rental agreement to do so. So is there currently like a software and analytics component to that? Or is that something you guys are thinking about? Just because it's top of mind with having Revo in here the other day and all the analytics they're able to pull off on the flow back in the well testing side. Yeah, I really, think there, there really could good be some question. stuff here. Um, you know, we talked about ESG as being a growing way of thinking in this industry. Data analytics, AI is becoming a, you know one as well, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So front of mind for a lot of folks. Uh, our ERT system is actually designed uh, with some cloud-based technologies that give us a dashboard to look at so we can understand how many power interruptions a customer might be having. In addition to wanting to report that and work with our customers, we, you know, we need it to bill on the hardware as a service model, yeah. right? So <laughs> we're able to get this data. And depending on the customer, you know, we work with them if they have um, kind of IT security requirements, you know, we'll work with whatever they need. But in kind of our prototypes, we're able to dial right in and see those dashboards and so be able to generate reports and use the data from what we're kind of seeing if, uh, kind of in the future, we hope, across a large field to be able to help a customer understand you're seeing 10 events in this area every week and only two over here. Right. And so you must have a power difference between the two and they're on the same grid. So what could be causing it? Yeah. And so we hope to be able to use the um, information gathering to provide intelligent feedback and conclusions or at a minimum, at least be able to show the customer trends and, and let them, you know, design their operations mm-hmm. around those trends. Yeah. So how does y'all's unit set up? You know, I think a lot about smart grids and mesh networks and the oil field. And really, you know, if say that you have 50 wells out on a lease, really connecting all of them together, do you guys have to have one unit per well or is it per pad so or? With your OSS, we can accommodate between one and six wells for one unit. Okay. In the ERT, it's entirely dependent on the size of drive. Um, so we've got the ERT 300, 400, and 500. The 400 has 400 amps available to it to support a VSD. So entirely dependent on how big the drive is will dictate if we are able to support it with one ERT, for example, or on the flip side of that, if one ERT can support multiple drives. In the the saltwater disposal application, that's an 800 horsepower drive. So we're actually put two ERTs in parallel to support that drive. To support it, yeah. Right. And, and And, you know, this is always a conversation to have with the customer on, look, the more wells you would connect to an ERT, uh, kind of the less backup you're getting per well. Yeah. And so if you kind of just think about, uh, for an easy analogy, like a battery, if you're going to hook multiple things into that battery, it's going to drain faster, yeah. right? You need to have enough bandwidth. Correct. Service and so all of them. Yeah. if you really have a particular area where you're having power problems, you're going to want to have the kind of a number of wells per unit of ERT to be lower so that you get more backup per, per well. Yeah. So Eric, you said that you joined a CEO in May this year, 2020, right? Correct. All right. So hell of a time 
to to start with everything <laughs> COVID related. Um, so, what are the trends that you guys are seeing as far as adoption? You know, I know that uh, you guys have been around for a while. You know, formerly known as Raptor Lift, you rebranded. You know, had some management changes. What are you guys coming in and really, you know, trying to? What are you trying to change about the approach and how has COVID? change that you know i like it's like my favorite question to ask the past few episodes I'm like how, how's covid fucking up your world like I, i'll put you on the spot Hard, yeah. Yeah. um how much time do we have no, so i would say um you know one of the first things that that i had as a uh, kind of a priority coming in and these guys were just incredibly supportive of is making sure that we can use this time that may be a little bit slower and kind of the normal business cycle to uh, ensure that we're getting good data on the products that we have, mm-hmm. good testing, so that we are able to tell customers with some base in our voice, you know, the savings and how our products will perform. So really kind of uh, stepping back and saying, look guys, we've done a lot over the past couple of years with our OSS product, for instance, but let's deep dive into that data. What is that data really telling us? Do we need more data? Do we need to refine that data? And so we kind of use that time to find uh, good partnerships, trying to call customers and say, look, uh, I'm calling you, but I'm not trying to take money from you yet. <laughs> All right, I'm calling to see if can we go out to your site and do some more metering on on some of our installs? Can we can we set some objectives on telling you what we're trying to learn from some testing? And hopefully, if uh, we can start the partnership now down the line, you'll be able to see the value in what we're doing, and maybe mm-hmm. there'll be business to be had. So we really went data centric on trying to understand how our products are performing. In addition, uh, we made a, a bold choice, and that choice was to go ahead and launch our ERT. You know, in some ways there there could be good counsel given to say you probably should wait till the market's better to launch a product. Mm-hmm. And uh, we decided to to push against that line of thinking. And the reason really came into, you know, despite the market being soft, we believe now is a good time to talk to customers about prototyping, about uh, pilot partnerships, about being able to go out and, and recognize, look, you're not going to buy the unit. We're not ready to sell it. We're here to just try to install it and see how it performs. Mm-hmm. And um you know, at least one of my takeaways has been because of the COVID environment, it's easier to jump onto a video conference with mm-hmm. someone than it is to get a meeting, even yeah. even when things are normalized. So, yeah. you know, the amount of scheduling that had to go into uh, a meeting for me and Aaron to walk into an office and talk with someone for a half hour is now just so much easier to say, can you jump on a Zoom or, you know, it's actually a, a really good point, because I think about week. you need to talk to someone at Concho in Midland instead yep. of having to actually travel in Midland. Correct. Everyone's conditioned to just getting on Zoom. So if you look at it from that angle, it can actually help you increase your scale of meetings, exactly. right? And, you know, I know, understand a lot of people are busy, you know, even with COVID and, you know, they're working from home, etc. But now they've got the ability to get onto the Zoom call. So we're actually getting a larger audience in, in right. most of these calls where previously, you know, if they were having to Exxon Mobile's campus, for example, you could spend 40 minutes walking from one side to the other. So if you don't have to physically walk to a meeting, yeah. just jump on it online. It's it's a yeah. much more benefit to us. And the ask is easier. Just like you could ask for a video conference, you know, six, nine months ago and people, ah, I don't, you know, that's not what I do now. Everyone's doing it so often. Yeah. So yeah, like, it's that, that's, it's, that's what I'm saying. It's the norm now. It's like norm, now right. I have to ask people, I'm like, you want to do a Zoom call or you want to do a regular call? Yeah. Like I have to <laughs> distinguish, you know, what type of call you want to do. But yeah, so... You guys are backed by CSL. Is the guy that created the technology, is he still at the company? So on the OSS side, uh, the CSL, when they formed the company, that technology was bought from the creator. So uh, so so on the OSS side, no. ERT, yes. So the uh, creator of that technology is a uh, person on our team. His name is uh, Mohammed Arafin. 
uh, a, an incredibly gifted engineer, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, a fellow so. Aggie yeah. like myself. So, you know, that, that, uh, you gotta throw that in there. You know, he's got a great personality as well. And the two aren't normally synonymous with one another. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. and, you know, to be perfectly honest, we actually think that's why we've been quite effective at being able to not only talk about the technology from a sales perspective or from a, you know, how it may save you money, but from a deeply rooted uh, set of, of knowledge on how it works and yeah. how how it was formed and what's the differentiators around it. And that's, um, yeah, that's where our engineering expertise is really front and center in some mm-hmm. of the marketing and, and sales conversations that we've had. Yeah. How big is your team now? Uh, we have five people here in Houston and uh, one member of our team in North Dakota. Okay. Are you guys, so are you guys utilizing all these pilots up in North Dakota? Are they Permian? Where you so guys? both. Yeah. yeah, both. Uh, a higher percentage up in North Dakota, just because of the way in which the it, it's kind of and, fallen out. Yeah. And you asked about, you know, how does COVID affected that? You know, we interesting experiences traveling to North Dakota, where <laughs> yeah. I had to, you know, tell the team, was like, if you don't catch that eight o'clock flight on Friday, you're stuck till Monday. Like, there's not as many flights going out. Yeah, they've they've you know, so. a lot of those flights down, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, I mean, traveling up to North Dakota during normal times isn't yeah, that good. Right? Yeah. Like, there's, there's literally I've like one flight and, and drove yeah. up there, and yeah, yeah there's not so. a good way to get up to North Dakota. We've no. To, we flew to Idaho probably three or four months ago, like yeah. right in the right in the middle of it. As as the first wave was kind of like dying down, went to IAH. Literally nobody in check in, nobody in security. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't a single person until we got to our gate, which was the weirdest thing in the yeah, world to me. But the flight like, was full. The flight was full <laughs> still. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> everybody was on that. Flight. Yeah. <laughs> so for you guys, you know, you got these two products. You just, you know, I'm kind of I'm kind of interested in your experience, Eric of. How does this compare to the last business that you were managing? Um, you know, this has a lot more of a technological component than, you know, just manufacturing, right? So when you're launching a new product like this, a new innovative product where, you know, you're having to get over that barrier of one, getting people to understand the technology and then two, understand the value proposition. How does that compare to running a traditional business like a manufacturing company? Yeah, no, it's a really, really good question. So I, I think for me specifically, one of the biggest differences has been with uh, my previous firm, LK, being around since 1929, the products that it made were well understood by mm-hmm. the market. The need was well understood. And even though we innovated and, and launched a few new products, it was all kind of just, you know, one deviation over from the core, right? So just kind of, you know, incrementally moving over. With what we're doing at Power Century, technology is really new, right? And and um, although we can tell a customer, you have a power issue, you, you, you know, your power cost is really high and they get that and they're all ears on, on how to reduce it. The, the how of how would we do this? It, it takes a lot of customer education. And so I think just having to walk into a conversation with the customer and kind of start from scratch on this is what we do. This is how we do it. This is, this is the new technology. I'm willing to have our engineers on the phone to talk about it is a different approach than what I had beforehand, which is uh, usually being able to walk into a customer and say, I know you've been buying from us for 10 years, <laughs> 20 <laughs> years, right? And here's here's, uh, here's what we're doing today. So I think um, in this product, we're not having to prove that there's a need, but we're having to present a whole new way of, of thinking of the solution. Yeah. And uh, that was a little bit different than my past experiences. Yeah. Uh, also with LK, we were the manufacturer uh, ourselves. So like we were building we're, 
everything start to finish in our facility. Uh, here we have some manufacturing partners, which have been phenomenal to work with. But what that does is in some ways it simplifies some of what we have to focus on, which is really being good at design, really being good at sales and service. And so yeah. that middle branch of, of actually building it, putting the bolts on, cutting the wires, you know, all that has been rightfully outsourced to a partner that specializes in that. Yeah. So those are some differences I've yeah. seen between the, the two. Yeah, manufacturing is a pain in the ass. I'm sure you're kind of like relieved that you don't have to deal with it anymore. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you this, inventory day is very different yeah. between the two, right? But on that topic, you know, we, we deal with a lot of like digital startups and stuff and it's cool and refreshing to have somebody that has actually some physical hardware. Mm -hmm. But to like those entrepreneurs that want to do something and you haven't actually manufactured something, would you say that, especially, you know, in the early stages, is it much better to kind of find those manufacturing partners to kind of offload that burden so that you yeah, can focus on actual sales and marketing all those kind of things right yeah so i would say if um if you're kind of starting from scratch then yes you would want to do that a firm like lk Industries that had made the capital investments in some of the equipment decades ago that were still the machines being used to make the widgets you know the economics were already okay but if you can imagine starting from scratch you want to raise capital to be able to do design to be able to do sales and marketing not necessarily to buy a machine that's going to cut widgets. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. uh, you outsource that to a partner that um, can kind of capitalize that machine over a lot of different work. And, you know, they can do that for you cheaper and more efficiently. But that's that's only like the kind of one point of, of the value. The other point, and with our manufacturing partner, uh, they've actually added to our product. They've been able to, to give insights and perspectives and kind of help us think through um, looking at a design. Hey, did you know there's a a different subcomponent you might want to consider here that higher temperature rated or can do this. So yeah. we've actually found that it's, it's much more than a transactional relationship. Mm -hmm. It's more of a partnership. And uh, we've been really grateful for that. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, if you have manufacturers that are actually looking out for you and you know, they're not just taking your blueprint and exactly. you know, pumping it out, but they're saying, Hey, look, you know, here's some suggestions to make it better. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. I will say as well, you know, in some of our other strategic partnerships, um, where it's not manufacturing related, it's we've had access to their labs, for example, and you know that capital investment and in having to get equipment to test the ERT specifically is mm -hmm. huge. Yeah, uh, where Toshiba Motor Test Facility here in Houston had all that equipment available to us, and we were able to actually refine the ERT with them prior to putting it out to the field. Right. So you never really want to be, you know, testing a product for the first time with a client in a live situation. <laughs> uh, it could be yeah. challenging. That's how um, it works. <laughs> it's and, happened. Yeah. And so to just kind of bring it all back home, I would say to an entrepreneur that's going through this discussion, I would encourage them to focus on what they can do best and what they can do that will give them a competitive advantage. Everything else, you should try to put on to other partners. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Try to let them do that. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And there's a lot of resources, you know, out here. You know, you just mentioned Toshiba, you know, Halliburton just announced Halliburton Labs to yep. actually, you know, give a lab atmosphere to people that are coming. You know, they had one company in there that was mixing up chemicals in their garage. It's like, hey, why don't you come <laughs> do this in an actual lab so you yeah, don't blow right. up the neighborhood? <laughs> so, you know, there's a lot of resources out there. And it's, um, you know, it's always hard. You know, the thing about digital and software is that it's, relatively low entry barriers right if you can code or find someone that can code you can start mm -hmm. building product but you know for a product like this it takes capital it takes engineering you know it takes those resources so 
it's good to have you guys on, you know, right after Revo test as well. Actually, mm -hmm. it sounds like we're just kind of been getting the whole CSL portfolio <laughs> yeah. on here. Things keep turning through. Hey, CSL, if you're listening, I think y'all owe some liquor. Yeah, today. yeah. <laughs> Need some ad money from CSL sometime soon. Talking to you, AJ. So, hey guys, if someone's listening and they, and they want to get more information about you, what's the website? You know, are you guys on LinkedIn? How can they reach out? So the website is www.powersentry.com. Okay. Um, there is another. And for, and for clarity, Sentry spelled yeah, like S-E-N-T-R-Y. -E yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, we'll drop just, a link. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, but there is a power, another Power Sentry out there. So for those of you who are continuing to call me, I can't do anything about your power strips. <laughs> <laughs> and I get these calls at least 10 times All a week. All the time. <laughs> um, I myself, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, Aaron Calder Davidson, that's A-R-R-A-N. Uh, which is the right way of spelling my name, um, <laughs> and my my partner here, he's uh, he's on LinkedIn as well. So. Awesome, yeah. and and we have a great uh, presence on LinkedIn for the we company. Do. Cool. And um, Aaron kind of champions a lot of our um, our posts there. We were really fortunate over the summer. We had a an intern who's now uh, back at Rice University, mm -hmm. but when he was with us, uh, he kind of took the bull by the horns and really helped us build out the, the right kind of LinkedIn page. And so, awesome. um, if anyone's able to check that out, they'll see we like to have a little bit of fun. We like to talk about our products. And so, uh, yeah, please please check that yeah. out. You'll learn more about our company and our culture there. All right, guys. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on the show today. Appreciate it, guys. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for making it happen. All right, guys. We'll take this episode. Share it with all your friends. Post it on LinkedIn. Uh, go sign up for the roundup if you want to stay up to date with all the latest things that are coming out with us. We'll catch you guys in the next episode. Come, 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 come.